All right? All right. Uh, we're going to be in Ruth 2. We're going to walk through Ruth 2. I'm excited about it. Um, Ruth 2, John said how Ruth, uh, I want to say, Ruth and her husband, uh, Elimelech, come to, they leave their, their land where they are. They were from, they're from Judah, they're from Israel. And so they leave that area and they go to Moab because of famine. Okay, they leave there, go to Moab because of family. Their sons grew up in that area, and their sons end up marrying two Moabite women, one of which is Ruth. And so uh, Naomi's husband dies, and both of her sons die. And so she's just sitting there, her and her two daughter-in-laws. And so she says to them, I'm going back. I'm going back home. You know, I only came here because of my husband and our families, but they're gone now. I'm going back home. And so the one daughter-in-law, Orpah, she stays. They kiss and she stays. Ruth said, I'm going with you. And so as we start chapter 2, as last verse in, the last verse in chapter 1, we're not going to read it. The last verse in chapter 1 says, So Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabite, they arrived in Bethlehem uh, in the beginning of the, Harley, of the barley harvest. And so they come back, and so they're coming back in, into Bethlehem, uh, into Judah, and that's where the story picks up. Uh, and so we're going to read the first, we're just going to read the first 12 verses of Ruth 2. And so first 12 verses of Ruth 2, and it reads as thus. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And as she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered back to him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant uh, who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves, after the sheaves, after the reapers. Um, so she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go, uh, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Lay your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowing to the ground, said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of, her, of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. In the last verse, 
the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the God of Israel in whose wings you have come to take refuge. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for uh, all of your many blessings. Thank you for this time. Um, God, we ask that you forgive us of our sins. Wash us, Father, with your forgiveness. Uh, God, be with us now. Speak to our hearts. We need to hear from you. We thank you, God, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So they they come back in verse 1. If you can put it back up. In verse 1. It says that now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Okay? The word Boaz means strength. And so he was not just a powerful man, but he was also a wealthy man. Uh, Then in verses 2 and 3, we see Ruth. She goes into the field to glean. Now, we have to understand the concept. Her gleaning was a type of welfare uh, at that time. Because the uh, Boaz owned the field, and he had his harvesters working the field. And so the harvesters were only allowed to go through the field once. And as they're going through the field, they go, and of course, they're only allowed to go through once. And whatever scraps were left over, because they dropped a lot of things as they went through, and they were only allowed to go through once, because the orphans and destitute and... Uh, the widows were allowed to come. Boaz's men is going through the field. They're dropping things because they can't get it all just going through once. And so here you have Ruth. She's coming up after them, and she's picking up scraps so that her family, her and Naomi, could have something to eat. And so here she is doing this. She's a poor woman. She's a poor woman. And so here we have Boaz in verse 3, verse 4. He comes on the scene. Now, we already know that Boaz is not only powerful, but he's wealthy. Okay? Uh, He could be a power. Power doesn't necessarily mean money. Uh, You can be powerful and not be wealthy. But Boaz is both. He is both powerful and he's wealthy. We already know that from verse 1. And so when Boaz comes on the scene, when we first see him in action... The first thing we know about Boaz, as far as when we see him in action, we see him talking. We see him talking. The, the writer of the text wants us to see how Boaz talks. Now, we know that he's powerful and wealthy, but in seeing him in action, we get an inkling as to why he's so powerful and why he's wealthy. How did he come to this place in life? We get an inkling of that from the way that he talks. And so it highlights his speech. Boaz comes into the field, and so he has his foreman, the guy who is over the guys working the field. He has his foreman who he later has a conversation with about Ruth, asking about Ruth. He asked her, who's that, who's that young woman working in the field or gleaning after my workers? And so he has a conversation with him later. But before he even, even has a conversation with this guy, he yells out to the workers. He said, the Lord be with you. And they yelled back to him, the Lord bless you. And so we know that is not something that we should just skip right over. The the text points that out because it is important. 
Now, we know that he's uh, wealthy and powerful. Uh, we know that he is a blessed man. This is a man who honors God. He's a generous man. But one thing, the first thing the text wants us to know about him we, we, makes Boaz so special. And the way he carries himself is the way he talks. Now, there are other things that make him special. But the first thing that it wants us to realize about Boaz that we can learn from and take from is the way he talks. And being a blessed man, he speaks life. He speaks life. He yells out to his workers, the Lord be with you. And they yell back to him in unison, the Lord bless you, Boaz. This, and look at, we see this blessed man who speaks life. Jesus said, the words that I speak are spirit and life. Okay, I'm going to say things, and so even as you read through the Gospels, you don't see Jesus say things that tear people down. You'll never see him do it. You don't see him do it. He doesn't say things that tear people down. Even when he's being a little more harsher, a little more firm, he's really just trying to correct. When he speaks, it's, it is always in love. It is always in love. And as followers of Jesus, as people who claim to have uh, the Spirit of God living inside of us, that we should speak in love, always. We should always speak in love. Jesus said, the words that I speak are spirit and life. Everything I say is going to build you up. Everything I say is going to make you better. Everything I say, every single thing I say is going to encourage you and help you. But this is a choice that Jesus makes. This is a choice. This is not just something that happens. He makes that choice to do that. Why? How do we know it's a choice? Because the Bible says in Proverbs that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Every time I open my mouth, I can either give life to something or I can kill it. Every time I open my mouth, even as you listen to people and you talk to people, every time you open your mouth and someone's listening to you, you have a choice. You can either take them down a notch, you can either rob them and take away from them, or you can build them up. And so we have to make that choice. Boaz is a great man. Part of the reason he's a great man is because he, ma he, he makes a, a very conscious choice whenever he opens his mouth to speak life. And so if you follow Bo Boaz through Ruth, you see him over and over making a choice to speak life. He makes a choice to speak life. Uh, and, and Ruth has this problem. Ruth is the opposite in regards to speaking. Ruth is the opposite of Boaz. Whereas Boaz speaks life and everything he says is going to encourage you or help you or make you better. Ruth is just the opposite. Everything that comes out of Ruth's mouth is bad. Ruth is that person that you don't want to be around. Ruth is that person that when she calls, you see that she is calling and is like, oh, I can't do this twice in one week. I can't, I've already talked to Ruth this week. I can't talk to her twice. I can't do this. I'm, 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 I'm in a good mood. You're in a good mood. Everything's going good. And then you see it's Ruth and it's like, uh-oh. Uh, I, I can't do this. I'm going to send it to voicemail because she's complaining about something. Something's not right. How do we know that Ruth is this way? You, you follow Ruth and the way she speaks 
Everything she says, almost everything she says is bad. Now, we talk a lot about being transparent. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We talk a lot about being transparent. And you need to be able to go to somebody and say, hey, I'm not, I'm not feeling so hot today. I'm not, I'm not feeling so tough today. You need to be able to do that. And if you're a radius white, no, this is the perfect place to do that because nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to look down on you. We all got our issues. And so we talk about them amongst each other to help each other. But if that is all you talk about, then there's a heart problem. If that dominates your conversation, there is a heart problem, and Ruth has a heart problem. And so she has a problem in that she goes through something, and as she goes through, she doesn't, uh, she doesn't discipline her enough discipline herself enough to speak life. And so at the top of chapter one, this is, this is one reason we know that Ruth does not speak life. At the top of chapter one, it says that Ruth had two kids. Their names are Malan and Chilon. Why is it, tell, why is it, tell, why is it telling us their names? Because it is noteworthy. The Bible says all scripts. So when it tells us their names are Malon and Chilon, it's telling us for a reason. Do you know what Malon and Chilon means? She named her kids, and by definition, they mean the names mean puny and sickly. Yeah. Puny and sickly. And so it's like she called, hey, sickly, come here. What's your sickly self? Come here. Sweep this floor with your sickly self. Hey, puny, uh, sure, these kids grew up uh, nice and strong, confidence, right? Yeah, she spoke life in them. Every time she speaks to them, she takes them down. Every time she calls their name, she, she takes away, robs them of confidence and joy and peace. Every time she talks to them, puny and sickly. And so it is no wonder that in the... Uh, that in Ruth 1 and 5, it is no wonder that puny and sickly both die. Go figure. Puny and sickly, after being called puny and sickly, their whole lives, puny and sickly both die. And, and it, the crazy thing is the husband went before they did. The husband had to hear a little more of, 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 of that harshness, of that, of that venom that constantly came out of Ruth's mouth. And so he passes before they do. Then 10 years later, they die. Puny and sickly both die. Go figure. And so she is constantly speaking negativity. She is constantly uh, speaking negative things to all those around her. We see her in another place. She says to Ruth, why are you following me? Why are you following me? After the husband dies and the kids both die, she says, why are you following me? And so Ruth has to overcome that hurdle. She is in the beginning, at the end of, uh, at the end of chapter 1, as they are coming into Moab, the Bible says that as they are coming into Moab, and Ruth, is, she's coming home, uh, she sees all these people that she hadn't seen in a while. And these people that love her, uh, she, they said, hey, Naomi, hey, Naomi, 
Naomi and Ruth come in, and, and Ruth isn't from there, but Naomi is. And so these people that hadn't seen Naomi in a while, they see Naomi, and they say, hey, Naomi. And the Bible lets us know that they are happy to see her. And so, uh, she says to them with her, her negative self, oh, don't call me Naomi. They, don't call me Naomi. She said, call me, uh, she said, the Lord has dealt. He has dealt negatively with me. The, the Lord has dealt bad with me. He said, call me, call me Mara. Call me Mara. You know what Mara means? It means bitter. I'm bitter. I'm bitter. I've gone through something. Now, it's one thing to go through something, but then you don't have to let what you've gone through determine the status of your heart. Now, we go through things, and we're going to go through. The Bible says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in the fire, but Jesus was in the fire with them. And then the Bible says they come out of the fire. And even though they were in fire, their clothes did not smell like smoke. And just because you've been through the fire doesn't mean that your clothes have to smell like smoke. Just because you've been through a bad marriage or just because you've had a hard time of it doesn't mean that you have to be bitter and allow everything to come out of your mouth to be bitter. You've been, you've been through a hard time. That's good. I've been through it. But you don't have to let that determine the status of your heart. Jesus said in, in Matthew 15, 11, he said, it is not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out. Matthew 15, 11, Jesus says, it is what comes out of a man that, that defiles him. Your problem is what comes out of you. What you say, the very words that you say can be a real problem if you don't, if you don't get a hold of it. And there may be someone in this room, if you're sitting, you might be sitting next to the person who's, uh, who when you see them call, you, you ignore the call because it's just all just negativity, negativity and, and, and just talking about people. And, and we all know those types of people, but don't be that, okay? Don't be that. Please don't be that person. Don't be that person. And if you have that, you might say, oh, I need to do a better job with what I say. I need to correct what I say. But no, it's a heart problem. Jesus says in 12, Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You only speak what you're full of. I can only speak what my heart is full of. My words only come out of the overflow of my heart. Okay, I never, I am 37 years old. In 37 years, I have not once in 37 years had a conversation about hockey. Not once in 37 years, not one conversation. I've had a lot of conversations. I've talked to a lot of people. I've never once in 37 years had a conversation about hockey. You know why it hadn't come out? Because my heart is not in my heart. It's not in my heart. Hockey isn't on my heart. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not down. I'm not down in hockey. Uh, you can play hockey, like hockey, whatever. But it's not in my heart, and so it doesn't come out. The Bible says, "Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." When you're, when you go, it's it's that picture. If you would picture a a a picture of your heart, that your heart being a picture, and as as your heart overflows, that those things are your words. That out of the overflow of my heart. 
my words can only come out of the overflow of my heart. And so if you have a problem speaking positivity, if you have a problem speaking life, it is very much a hard issue. And so you would need to pray, those of you that is, and I know it's, well, some of us in this room, and it's, you've, you're a victim of your circumstance. You've been through, that's fine, but you need to pray, here's my heart, Lord. The song we just sang a little while ago. God, here's my heart. Speak what is true. God, help me with my heart. Help me with my heart. I've been through a lot of pain. Help me with my heart. I want to stop hating people. Help me with my heart. I want to forgive this person that did me wrong and left me. Help me with my heart. They hurt me 10 years ago, and I'm still mad at them. I still can't walk on the same side of the street when I see them. I see them at the mall and go into a store I don't want to even want to go into just because you don't want to just because you want to have a conversation with somebody. And the song says, God, here's my here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Words messed it up, and only words can fix it. Words messed it up. It was it was things that were said that took away the life. And so only only the speaking of life can put it back. And so it is very important for those of you that are in recovery, you've been through things. I'm I'm still in recovery. Me and Tessa just had a conversation the other day about how we need to be so careful to speak life into each other. Because I've been through so much, I can I, I went after going through so much, I I'm, it's, it's to a point where I'm very sensitive to negativity because I know what it is to be depressed. And so I am like hypersensitive to negativity. I have to avoid it at all costs. And there's nothing against anybody who, who does that, but I just, I can't take it. My heart can't take it because I'm super sensitive to it. And so she has to be super sensitive with me. And so you, we have to be careful, especially those of us that have been through things, that you put yourself around people who speak life. And that is why this is so important. That is why the gathering together is so important. I was uh, having lunch. Uh, where's Mike? Mike, where are you at? Mike, you got, there he is. Mike got baptized. Me and, Mike, me and Mike were having dinner one time, and we were talking about uh, because he had, he had already given his life to God. But we were talking about why why is it so important? Because, you know, you've heard the age-old question. You've heard people say, oh, I don't have to come. I don't have to come to church to be saved. No, but you do have to come to church to allow people to speak life into you. You, you need someone to come to you and tell you that it's going to be all right. You can't get that at home watching TV. You need to come to someone, let someone hug you and, 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 and speak kindness into your heart and tell you that it's going to be okay. Someone that has been through something and tell you, hey, God, hey, God will deliver you out of that. You, you need someone to speak peace and life into you. And some of you, your problem now is that you are in relationship. You're, you're a giving person, but you're in relationship with someone who's taking. And so when a giving person is in relationship with someone who's taking, they all, you can only end up back at zero or worse. It's like pouring into a cup that has a hole in it. It'll never be full. 
And some of you, your heart problem is that. I see you smiling, Mike. You must have that problem. (laughs) Some of you, your heart problem isn't even with yourself. It is that you are in relationship with someone who's just taking. They're taking, and you're trying to put back in your heart and put back in your heart. And they're taking and taking. And so every good relationship is an exchange. The body of Christ. We talked about the body of Christ and how is there, there is this flow of the blood of Jesus within the body of Christ. There is this flow. And so I get from you and you get from me and there is this exchange. Uh, I have a friend who's in here. Uh, the, every, every great relationship is an exchange. And as you build relationships, you need to make sure that those relationships are an exchange. What does this have to do with Ruth? I'm glad you asked. Ruth is in relationship with Naomi, and it is taking from her. And so it is only in meeting Boaz that she recovers from this. Because Boaz doesn't take, he gives. And so when she meets Boaz, she comes into relationship with somebody who gives to her as she is giving to him. And it is that flow that, that is a healthy body that defines a healthy body and a healthy relationship. And if you are in relationship with someone who every relationship to be, should be an exchange, it doesn't mean that they have what you have, but they should give something. They should bring something to the table. I was, uh, my friend, Wes, Wes, I don't even see, I don't know where he, I know he's somewhere in here. He was playing earlier. Uh, well, there you go, Wes. I was, now Wes, he's, he's one of my friends. He's, I have all of you, my friends here, but Wes, I'm, I'm going to use him as an example. Now see, I have a friendship with him, and it is an exchange. Now, I can't fix stuff, okay? That's not what I do. If, if you have a problem, something's broken at your house, if you call me, I'm just going to call somebody else who knows what in the world they're doing, and I'll get them to come over there. Now, I'm not going to come over there and fix it. That's not what I do, okay? And so, in Wes and I's friendship relationship, I do other things. I speak life, Okay? I speak life. He, he needs to be encouraged. He can call me. I encourage him. But I'm not going to fix nothing. And so there's this exchange where I am giving and receiving, but then he is giving and receiving also. And this defines a healthy relationship. This is the flow that the body of Christ needs to have. And so there are those of you in this room, if you are in relationship with someone who is only taking, you need to cut off the relationship. If you are in a relationship, now it's not saying that you can't have contact with people. In ministry, we have contact with people, and it's, it's, it's touch and go. Ministry is touch and go. You help somebody, you keep it moving. You help somebody, you keep it moving. If you know somebody like that, you help them and you keep it moving. But to have relationship with them, don't do that. There's somebody's number that needs to be deleted before the end of the service. In your phone, everybody has one. There's somebody's number that needs to be deleted before the end of the service. You, you do detriment to yourself, and then you, and now here you are back at zero, and you're doing it all in the name of love. That's not what God wants you to do. God doesn't want you to allow yourself to be in someone who's just going to take from you and rob and rob and rob, and then no matter what you do, you're back at zero. If a cup has a hole in it, no matter how much tea I put into it, it's just going to spill. It's all going to end up on the floor anyway. 
And so Ruth finally meets Boaz, and there's that exchange. Okay, getting back to it. So we have in verse 4, we see Boaz in his, his speech. He calls out to them. Uh, Boaz starts asking about Ruth. And so he's asking about Ruth to his, to his, his foreman who is over the harvesters. He's asking about Ruth. And so she is, he is giving Boaz a little background on Ruth. He's telling him all about Ruth. And, oh, she, she's work. Uh, he's telling them about her work ethic. Uh, the Bible says that, uh, you know, what has she been doing here? And he tells her, hey, she came in the morning and she worked all night. She took one little break, but she's been working all day. She's a hard worker. Boaz is impressed by that. Um, and so finally, let's go to verse 8. If y'all can put it back up, verse 8 or around verse 8. And then we have it on pages. Okay. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but, but keep close to my young women. Boaz tells Ruth, hey, and, and Ruth, now Ruth is also very attractive. The word, the word Ruth means desirable. Okay. And so Boaz uh, comes to Ruth and says, hey, glean, glean in my field, you know, glean in my field. That's what I told Tessa when we met. So, Hey, hey, babe, uh, glean, glean, glean over here. Bring all that over here. Glean in my field. And if you're thirsty, he even tells, I have my young man get you something to drink. He said, but glean over here, though. Keep it all. Keep it all. I got everything you need. That's, what she was, that's basically what he was telling her. I told her, day one, Tessa, I am your one-stop shop. Did I not tell you that? Your day. I got, I got so mad one time because our car needed fixed and is somebody at her work, I found out, I almost pulled that guy up from under the hood because I was like, no, 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 no. And I said, I got it. I got it. Tell him to go on somewhere. You know, you glean in my field. You know, you glean. I got, I got everything you need. And so she had the guy, the guy, you know, he left. I don't know what's wrong with He left. And so, uh, and then, so now it's just me in the car that needs fixed. So I called somebody like Wes. I call, I call this guy, say, hey, man, come over here and fix this car for my, for my girlfriend before the end of the day and make it snappy. Boom. And I said, I, said, I said, see, baby, I got you. I got you. Everything you need, I got it. Don't worry about it. So this is what Boaz tells Ruth. This is what Boaz tells Ruth. Let's go to the next one. He, she, he says to her, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Uh, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? He protected her. He gave her protection and he supplies for her. And then he says, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. Ruth is so, here it is. Boaz is a rich, powerful, wealthy man. And he specifically connects himself to Ruth to help him be a blessing to her. Ruth is humbled by this. And so in verse 10, she says, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And so go to the next one. All right, now we're going to read it in a second. And so Ruth asked her, Hey, what is it about me? 
that is the reason you're doing this? Why have I gotten your attention? Why have you chosen me to protect and connect yourself to and be a part of? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Now, Ruth is beautiful, but if you read the story, Boaz had maidens. Maidens, plural. We can't do that anymore, uh, men. But Boaz had maidens, plural. He had women, plural. He had them. Again, we can't do that anymore. Mike, I know you're single. Stop trying to. It's one. You choose one person. No, I'm just kidding, Mike. Uh, and so that is not, again, she's beautiful, but that is not why he chose this blessed man. This blessed, wealthy man chooses to attach himself to her and connect himself to her. And we see in the 11th verse why. Why does Boaz do this? But Boaz answered her. At that point, Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And so he tells to her, when she, she is on her knees at this point, why are you doing this for me? What is it about me is not my money because I don't have money. Why? What is it about me that has made you want to attach yourself to me? And Boaz, a blessed man, says your generosity. Your generosity. All that you have done for your mother-in-law. All that you have done, all that you've given to her. Your generosity. Boaz, now she doesn't even have a lot but what she has, she is generous with. There are some of you in this room, you use, you use the lack. You use a lack. Having or having very little is not an excuse to not be generous. It is not an excuse to not be generous. Ruth doesn't even have a lot, but what she has, she gives it. Peter and I think it was Peter and John were going into the temple and the young man asked for money and he said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have give I thee. I don't have money, but I'll, I'll tell you what I do have. He gives. And so when you're generous, you find a way to give. Okay. When you're generous, you find a way to help. You find a way to be a blessing. You find a way to give. And one thing that we want to do, and we do it so well here at White Knoll, but we want to continue that. We need to find a way to give. Give what you have. Peter and John says to the young man, silver and gold I don't have, but such I have, give I thee. I'll give you what I do have. Give what you do have. Give what you do have. The body of Christ needs you to give what you do have. Whether you're able to fix things or whatever it is, or cook or, or do whatever, the body of Christ needs you to give what you do have. And so Boaz, Ruth is generous. She is generous. And so even in giving, as you give, as you give, no, keep in mind Galatians 6 and 7 uh, that says in Galatians 6 and 7, it says that God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall ye also reap. When you give, when you give, when you give, and it's not, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. When you give, you get it back. I'm a, I try to be, I have a lot of faults, but one thing I do pride myself on is being a giving person. I give what I have. I don't even have a lot, but I'll give what I have when I see a need, uh, partly because I know what it is to be in need. And so when I see a need, I'll give to it. 
I'll give to it. And don't you know, when I need something, it will always be there. It will always be there. I, I, I can't be stuck on the side of the road. Big as I am, big black guy, 250 pounds, somebody will, uh, will give me a ride. If, if, I'm, if I'm in need, it'll always be there. It'll always be there. And this isn't prosperity gospel, but this is a biblical principle. This is a biblical principle. God is not mocked, Galatians 6 and 7 says. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall ye also reap. If you give, it will come back to you in some way. I'm not saying you're going to make a million dollars. But if you give, God will make sure that you get it back. Look at what Boaz tells her when she talks about, he mentions her giving and her generosity. In the 12th verse, the last verse that we're recognizing today, he said, the Lord repay you for what you have done. The Lord repay you. He said, it seems like I'm repaying you. It seems like I'm giving to you. He said, no, 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 no. This is not me. Boaz, being a blessed man, also realized that he wasn't the source. And he said, even though it may look like this is coming from me, this is really coming from God. He said, the Lord repay you for what you have done. All you're doing, Ruth, is reaping from all those years that you've sown. And so it is no coincidence. That's why the book is called Ruth. It is no coincidence that what she does on the front end of the book comes back to her on the back end. It is no coincidence that she reaps what she sows. Boaz said, the Lord is repaying you. All those years that you gave and gave and gave, the Lord is repaying you. I've talked to you. I've talked to many of you. Some of you in this room, you, you said, "Derek, I've been giving and giving and giving and helping people and helping people and helping people." When is somebody going to help me? And I am telling you right now, like Boaz told Ruth, the Lord is going to repay you. God is going to reimburse you. The Bible says that he that giveth to the poor lendeth to the Lord. To give to the poor is to lend money to the Lord. To lend, not just money, but to lend to the Lord. And so those of you that have been faithful and been giving and helping and giving and helping, keep giving and helping. You're coming down to your last. Keep giving and helping. The Bible says that, uh, and I'm going to let you go after this. The Bible says that there was the woman, uh, and I want to say it was Elijah that came on the woman, and she had the one last bit of oatmeal. And she had been giving, she had been helping people, but she was down to this little bit. And the prophet, Elijah, asked her for the last little bit that she had. She, he said, what are you planning to do with that little bit? She said, me and my son, we're going to eat this and we're going to die. We're going to eat this and then we're going to die at some point. And so Elijah said, give it to me. Give it to me. And the Bible says that she took it and made meal for him and gave it to him. And the Bible says that every time she went back into that barrel, it never ran out. Every time she went back to get some more meal, there was some more there. And so what Elijah was doing was teaching her. Hey, if you give what you have, the Lord is going to repay you. Those of you that are in this room, you're generous. You help, whether it be your, and it's not all about money, your time, your efforts, uh, we talked about Weston giving his wisdom and his abilities. And so you give those things, God will give back to you. 
And as a matter of fact, God takes it personal to reimburse you. For those of you that help people and are generous to people, God takes it personal to help you. The Bible says in Galatians 6, God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It would be a mockery of God if you didn't get what you sow. It would be a mockery of God if kindness didn't come back to you. You're sowing mistrust. You're doing these things. God is also letting you know that's going to come back to you too. And if it didn't, it would be a mockery of God. That's why we need to treat people right. That's why we need to treat each other right. What you do comes back to you. God's God's not going to be made a mockery of. He is going to make sure that if you plant kindness, you'll get kindness. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for all of your many blessings. Thank you for speaking to us this day. God, as we continue to go through Ruth, we have one more Sunday in it. God, help us to continue to glean from this story. Um, God, help us to be generous, even in light of the families uh, that are in need. uh, God, help us to be generous. God, we thank you for all that you've done. We love you. We look to you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen.